Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Um, so tonight we're going to go through, we're going to start really picking these last few verses apart. I mean, this is all we're going to be studying for the next, for tonight and next week. And, and I would like to even go further. Um, this, this section of scripture is unbelievably important, uh, especially verses 24 through 27. So we're in Daniel 9. And uh, let's read verses 20 through 27, and then we'll go through a short introduction, and then see how far we get tonight. Verse 20, and whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, Yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me. Now that, that time of the evening oblation seems to be a reference to when the temple was in place. That would be about 3 p.m. in Jerusalem. Every day, you know, every day would be the, the evening oblation. And so that's, he's, he's, using that to note about the time when Gabriel came and touched him. Verse 22, And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks, and threescore and two weeks, the street shall be, shall, uh, be built again, and the wall even in troublous times." And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince, 
that shall come, destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the uh, consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. All right. So while Daniel was in the midst of his prayer and supplication, the angel Gabriel came to came to visit him. Gabriel is only mentioned four times in the Bible. You may know where. So four, he's mentioned four times in the Bible, twice in Daniel and twice in Luke. Very good. Gabriel is only mentioned four times in the Bible. The first two mentions are in Daniel. The last two are both in the book of Luke. Gabriel said he was dispatched. Now, now look at this. It's, it's pretty incredible. At the beginning of Daniel's supplication, Daniel begins to pray and God says, Gabriel, go. And before Daniel's finished praying, however long this prayer was, we don't know. Gabriel's there and touches him on the shoulder and is like, Hi, I'm here to talk to you and tell you what's going on. That's pretty incredible. Uh, Look at verse 3. Verse 3, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Right there. God turns to Gabriel, wherever Gabriel was. I mean, I guess we could assume he was in heaven. didn't say where he came from. Um, God turns to Gabriel and instructs him, go talk to Daniel. And so from that point until we get to verse, what is it, verse 20, whatever it is, uh, Gabriel's there with him. So if we make the assumption he's in heaven, he goes from heaven to there with Daniel in (laughs) no time. That's pretty quick. Um, If airplanes ever get that fast, I will stop using them. Already concerns me getting in a metal tube and flying around the world like you know my wife likes to do crazy stuff like adventurous stuff like bungee jumping and skydiving and that type of stupid stuff and I always tell her like why do you want to tempt God well it just feels like the ultimate temptation to tempt God to get in a metal tube and fly 30,000 feet at the, in the air at 400 miles per hour and just assume you're going to make it. You know, if you, if you had one car accident, that, praise the Lord, the, the equivalence of you know, car accidents to, to airplane, they're not accidents. <laughs> it's just you fall out of the sky, you're done. It's over. <laughs> um, like the, 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 there's a huge imbalance there. Praise the Lord. You'll have far better chance, if, if you can use those terms, getting into an auto accident than you ever will to have a plane fall out of the sky. That still doesn't make me any more comfortable sitting in the middle of a, of a tube, 30,000 feet in the air, flying 400 miles per hour over nothing, over the ocean, over a forest, over a mountain. So that thing crashes. They're like, oh, you have a floating device under your seat. Yeah, right. Like, you know, like, if we crash, who's going to be holding their floating device waiting to jump in the water? You're dead. It's just it's going to smash in the ground and you're all going to die. So anyways, 
You don't want to t- the point is you don't want to tempt God. And flying seems like man is toying with God. Look what we can do. <laughs> but if, if a plane could go this fast, I don't know if that'd be better or worse. I mean, it'd be nice to be able to get somewhere really fast and land and have it over with. I guess it also would be some consolation that I'm going to heaven if I die. And if we're going this fast, we're definitely going to die if we, if we, if we crash. So uh, I don't know. I, I just I like having my feet on the ground and being able to see where I'm going. So uh, now that is not going to add. Don't put that in your essay when you write about Daniel 9, because it really doesn't add to anything at all. Just just saying he got there quick. Uh, look at verse 17. Now, therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. Now, isn't that amazing? It's desolate for the Lord's sake. That's not how we think about these things. We, we look at the lack of a temple on the Holy Mount and we say, oh, God, what, you know, how could this be? Well, God caused it to be. <laughs> And, and here he's saying that, you know, I'm, I'm praying and crying out to God and, and, and asking you to turn your wrath away. Uh, but we deserve it. Not only do we deserve it, we, do we deserve it, but you, 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 for the most part, cause this to happen as a form of chastisement to deal with his people. Look at verse 18. Oh, my God, incline thine ear and hear, open thine eyes and behold our desolations. And the city, which is called by thy name, for we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousness, righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies. Uh, look at verse 20. And whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, um, Gabriel shows up. <laughs> look at verse 23. At the beginning of thy supplications and commandment came forth, uh, the commandment came forth, and I came. So Daniel, so it's, it's Daniel starts praying, and then immediately a commandment comes for, for Gabriel to go to Daniel. So if that's true, What's going on if we were to pray fervently? What's happening in heaven when we offer up fervent prayer? That's what supplication is. It's not just, you know, I just said my prayer. Well, good. <laughs> Glad you went through the motions. So if, if knowing that, and we'll talk about this again in a, in a, in a few minutes when we get to it. Uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself and be too redundant. But Daniel starts praying and God start sending angels in response to his prayer to speak to him. I mean, I'm not telling you God's going to send an angel down to speak to you. In fact, if you come tell me that God sent an angel to speak to you, I'm going to say, right. (laughs) Uh, You've been drinking some war gin or something. (laughs) Somebody gave you some banana gin. So, you know, it's that's not what I'm telling you. I am telling you that God might respond to your prayer. And you don't know how he might respond or how he might show himself. That's incredible. That's an incredible thought. It's an incredible idea. And you might say, and I might say, well, God's never done that. Well, then I would ask, have you ever prayed fervently? Or do you just go through the motions? 
If God hasn't showed up and God hasn't directed you and God hasn't had any response to your prayer, it's not that God's not responding to prayer. Clearly, He does. I would question the spirit, the motive, the intent, the intensity, all that of the person praying and ask, um, are you putting your all into your prayer or, or is it just something you just kind of go through? Is it just a, you know, just going through the motions, just a religious thing? This means the moment Daniel began making his supplication the Lord gave the, uh, to the Lord, Gabriel was immediately sent to Daniel uh, from wherever he was. We don't, we don't know where he was at. Um, and, I, and I say that because in the last chapter, when, when whoever, instruct, whoever that was that instructed Gabriel to go talk to Daniel, he's like standing by a river somewhere. He's saying, you know, Gabriel, go talk to Daniel and tell him, make him understand. So, so who knows where he was at? And, and, you know, they're going back and forth and fighting with these spirit beings in the second heaven and all that weird stuff. So uh, he may have been in heaven. He may have been on earth somewhere dealing with something. But uh, Gabriel came for the purpose of giving Daniel two things, skill and understanding. I found that also very interesting. Um, he sent Gabriel for the purpose of helping Daniel to gain more understanding about what, what, what's coming. And Daniel's praying about the close of the 70 years. And then Gabriel comes along and tells him about the 70 weeks, <laughs> which is, by the way, 490 years. And we'll talk about that in depth tonight. So Daniel's like, praise the Lord. I just read the book of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah said in 70 years we're going back to Jerusalem. Oh, no, our people are not ready. I mean, well, they're ready, but if God sees the way we've been living, he's not going to be happy. So Daniel starts praying and pouring his heart out, and God says, go help Daniel understand what's going on. So he sends Gabriel. Gabriel comes down and says, yeah, don't, don't, don't worry about this little bit of time here. This is what you need to be worried about. <laughs> Your 70 years are done, all right? So, so, but the, that 70 years was so that your land could enjoy her Sabbaths. It wasn't about you. In small part, it was about you. But God's not done dealing with your sin, your transgression, your iniquity. All these things you've done all these years, that's not over. So you've got 490 years to deal with it. And Daniel's like... <laughs> Can we just stay here? We might as well just give it up. (laughs) We can't do anything right. (laughs) So um, look at verse 22. And he informed me and talked with me and said, um, and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. Now think about that. So our ability to, to grasp the word of God and to use it to know what's coming, how to live, how to apply it to your life. God says that is skill and understanding. That's very interesting to me. And and so in order to be able to to adapt to life and to do these things in a godly manner and in a way that pleases God, you got to have some skill and some understanding with the Word of God. And too many people don't. You ask people, why why do you go to church you go to? They teach the Bible. Well, what do they teach? The Bible? <laughs> well, well, tell me what they teach about salvation. 
Uh-huh. What do they teach about baptism? What do they teach about the tribulation? What do they teach? I mean, you, you, you could... Look, I, I have gone from church to church to church in America and asked independent Baptists in good churches, what is the gospel? And their answer, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <laughs> no. I mean, those are four gospels, but that's not the gospel. Uh, the word of God. No. What is the gospel? And they don't know. They have no skill. They have no understanding. And that's, that's, that is one of the most fundamental, basic aspects of the Christian life. That's something that you should be able to rattle off not long after you're saved with no problem whatsoever. And they can't. Now, if you ask them how they got saved, they'll likely tell you in good churches that they trusted in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. But they have no concept that that is the gospel. They can't connect the definition with the term. And, and so, and I would ask them, so what, when I go to Uganda, what, what am I going to do? Oh, you're going to preach the gospel. Well, what is that? Uh, <laughs> how do you know that's what I'm going to go do and you have no clue what it is? And so they, they can't put those together. They can't put the, 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 they have no skill and no understanding. And God forbid, I do not want to be that way. I do not want to be that type of Christian. And, and all it does, all it takes is a little bit of effort, study to show thyself approved unto God. What a blessing. You want to show your, you want, you want God to approve of you? Go study. Read. Get your nose in the books. Learn some stuff. Gain some skill and understanding. Then maybe God will send some more skill and understanding your way. And, and so that's, that's what Gabriel came to do for Daniel. This gain in skill and understanding is the result of a man's fervent prayer to his God. So look at, look at, look at what's happened so far. Daniel is praying. Now, Daniel got good news. Your captivity is just about to be over. Uh-oh, I better go pray. Now, I, again, I, I am not Daniel, which I readily admit, because I probably would have been calling people saying... <laughs> Let's have a party. <laughs> We're going home. We get to leave. We have to go back to Jerusalem. Not Daniel. Daniel says, we need to pray about this. This is not good. It's, it's good, but we are not prepared. We didn't come to Babylon and recognize our captivity and say to God, I'm, I'm going to live a, a narrow life from here on out. I'm going to focus on you, Lord. Instead, we were like, I mean, we're in Babylon. They got some pretty good food. Yeah, but it's not... It's not according to the law of Moses. Uh, well, we're in Babylon. <laughs> yeah, but you can't marry those women. <laughs> we're in Babylon. <laughs> but you're supposed to remain separate. Yeah, but we're in Babylon. But that's not an excuse to live like the devil and then still claim to belong to God. Because they'll go marry a Babylonian woman and say, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> what Lord? The Lord who told you not to do that? So Daniel recognizes the blessing and the very serious problem. If God starts looking into the way we've been living, it's the reason we got kicked out of the land in the first place. And so we're about to head back that direction. God's opened this door. Daniel is focused on this 70 years, and then God hits him with 490 years. So what's happened so far is Daniel is praying And as a result of that prayer, he gains understanding, 
He gains skill and he talks to Gabriel. Sent straight from God. Imagine that. Gabriel shows up and says, oh, I was just in the throne room with God. He said to come talk to you. Me? About what? <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> Am I in trouble? <laughs> um, so it's interesting. Supplication, supplication, important word in the Bible, one we ignore. We just say, oh, it goes with prayer. Well, what is it? <laughs> I don't know. Something they do when they're praying. Supplication is defined entreaty. All right, so what does that mean? Humble and earnest prayer in worship. So Daniel's not just, uh, it's, it's 520, let's, let's, let's pray. And then you just go through, you just, why are we praying? Well, that's what, I mean, we're Christians, we're just supposed to do that. When we get done tonight, I'm going to ask somebody to pray. Well, why? Well, it's just what we're supposed to do. We're Christians, so we should just pray. Well, yeah, you should pray. But what if you acted like you were talking to God? What if you put some fervency into it and some intensity into it and, and, and acted as though my prayer could gain me understanding, skill, and could cause God to start moving angels around to, to bring about some godly solutions? That's pretty incredible. And, I, I'm not, and again, I'm not telling you that God's going to send an angel to speak to you face to face. If you come and tell me that God did that, I'm going to make fun of you. I'm going to take you to the hospital. Have your head checked out. Maybe God did. You still go into the hospital, have your head checked out, and drink some water. <laughs> but I do believe these types of things are 100% available to us right now. I think if you were to pray with, with real fervency, if you prayed like God was really going to answer your prayer, if you put your heart into it the way that Daniel did, I think God would start making some things move. And people don't. Prayer is probably one of the most lacking ministries that exist in the world today in, in, within Christianity. Nobody wants to pray. We, just, we do it before church and we do it after church. It, you... you I would, I, would, I would want to see how many people who faithfully attend our church simply pray before they eat a meal. Or do they act like a goat and just tear right into it? I've never seen a dog stop and say, well, Lord, thank you for this, for this food. Why would you act like a dog? I've not seen one cow bowing down to... to, to now, when you go to uh, Lake Embudo, you'll see the warthogs on their, their front knees bend, bend. So maybe they're praying. <laughs> Though I have my doubts. A friend of mine, uh, Brother David, David Brown, who was here not long ago, his, his first pastor, and when I say first pastor, he went from... Sweet Springs Baptist Church under Joel Logan to our church to go to Bible school. And then he just became the assistant pastor and stayed there. So, but his pastor, Joel Logan, used to ask him, you know, have you praised God today? 
Do you know that if you don't praise God, the, the stones will praise God? He's gonna let, you're going you're to let some stones outpraise you? <laughs> but that, that's, I mean, what, what if you really poured your heart into prayer and acted as though God would listen to it and answer it? He might. I know, I know great men who go on and on about how, I mean, they, they say that they pray. They say they pray fervently, and they just don't see God responding to their prayer. They don't stop praying. They keep praying. But it's, it's hard for me to see this, and, and, I, and this, it implicates myself also. I'm not separating myself as though I'm in the camp with Daniel or something. But it's hard for me to see this and not say that, that God would absolutely do this for us today if we would pray the way Daniel prayed. That's the key. The question is not, did you pray? The question is, did you pray the way Daniel prayed? To finish the definition, humble and earnest prayer and worship or an earnest request. It just, there's a, this, your supplication is a level of prayer. It's not you just with your knees bent and, and, and your hands together talking. Daniel in this in supplication, Daniel has combined prayer and worship together. And he is giving himself over to 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 uh, to tell the Lord what's on his heart. And if you remember in John four, if you're going to worship God, it has to be in truth, in spirit and in truth. I, I, I think that's exactly what Daniel's doing here. Daniel was in a deep state of prayer and worship, and God responded to it. I don't think that's... Look, I think some things that happen in Daniel's life are exclusive to Daniel. I don't think this is one of them. I think we just don't use prayer as the tool that God meant it to be. It's such a foundational part of your relationship with God. If you don't pray, what that means is you don't talk to God. If you don't talk to God, if you were married and didn't talk to your wife, how would that go? How would that relationship be? Do you talk to God? If you don't, if you if you claim to be in a relationship with somebody, oh, that's my best friend. Oh, was the last talk, was the last time you talked to him? Twenty years ago. <laughs> well, do they know you're they're your best friend? I, they're probably a bit confused about that. Oh, no, they know. Look, God, God can find out what's going on in your heart and mind anytime he pleases. If he decides to look into what's going on in your life, nothing will stop him. But his expectation is that you are going to be in open conversation with him, telling him what's on your heart, what's on your mind, what's going on in your life. And we don't do that. And if we do, to the few who do, It's insufficient. It either lacks consistency or it lacks intensity. All of us, everybody, everybody who listens to this audio, everybody in every church that I know of across the world, need to take prayer far more seriously. And it's probably one of the defining factors of the men of old who seem to have so much power from God. and, And we look at them and say, why can't we do that? Well, they got up and prayed. And we just want. <laughs> you have not because you ask not. Or probably more 
moral comment, you ask amiss. Look at James 5. Let's put this in New Testament context. Let's see if we can find a correlation here that, that would give me reason to say everything I just said. Are you sure we can do this? Well, let's get some New Testament scripture and see. Chapter 5, verse 16, very common verse, verse that everybody probably knows. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, this is where we got to be careful because we say, well, my prayer doesn't do that. Well, (laughs) is it effectual? Are you righteous? God said, if, you, if that's who you are, your prayer will avail much. So if the prayer is not availing much, it's not the, it's not the, 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 the system of prayer. It's not on God's end. It's on this end. We're not effective. We're not effectual. We're not righteous. We want to live dirty and then pray and ask God, would you, you know, give me something that I want? No. (laughs) You know, husbands mistreat their wives and they want to go and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, would you? uh, uh, No. Wives treat their husbands like garbage and they pray, Lord, just give me. uh, No. Stop wasting your time. If you're not even going to try and live a a godly life, then, then don't pray. Don't waste your breath. But if you, are, if you are consistently trying your best to live a, gl- a clean, godly life, you're doing your best. Look, right, our righteousness comes from Jesus Christ. I'm not telling you to suddenly become a righteous man. There's none that doeth good. There is none righteous, no, not one. Our righteousness comes through Jesus Christ. But when you go before the Lord, there should be some demonstration that you are attempting to live the way he suggests and instructs that you should live. You can't come back from the bar and say, oh, let's have a prayer meeting. <laughs> um, to who? Like, if, if, you, if you abuse and mistreat your wife and then come home and say, can we have a talk? No. I just want to talk to you. How come you don't want to talk to me? Because you're a piece of trash. That's why. Why would I want to talk to you? You treat me that way. What? How is it that we get this idea that we can abuse God, we can, we can abuse his grace, we can abuse his mercy, we can do whatever we want outside the word of God in transgression to the word of God, and then we just show up on Sunday and say, can I, I'll, I'll pray for us. <laughs> no, you're going to say words. Where that prayer is going, <laughs> who knows? It's just spinning hot air out and you're just uh, contributing to global warming. So, Daniel, I wish God would have just told us some of his faults (laughs) because he's too perfect. Every time, every time God sends an angel to talk about him, you are, you are greatly beloved. You have an excellent spirit. I find no fault in you. It's like, whatever. (laughs) What that demonstrates is you, here you have a man with no Holy Spirit, with, with only snippets of the Word of God, living in the worst, most worldly conditions you can imagine. You have people who want to 
fix the government. He's in the government. He was in two bad governments. And yet he remained so close to God and was so fervent in prayer that God moved every time Daniel prayed. Lord, I need to know what this vision is. Only you can tell me. Here it is, Daniel. Lord, what's, what's this? What are these ten kingdoms? Here it is, Daniel. Lord, what's this horn that's going to come out of these four kingdoms? Here it is, Daniel. Lord, I just, I just, I was reading my Bible and I found out it's seventy years are going to be complete. We're almost done. Lord, would you please turn your your wrath away from us? Here's some more understanding, Daniel. Every time that man poured his heart out to God, God responded to him. It's amazing. I think it's available. Question is, will anybody here go after it? Or are you just going to keep going through empty motions and wondering why God doesn't talk to us? When I read of Daniel's situation and then read the words in James 5, it makes me want to spend even more time in prayer. It may be that God would respond to us and show himself in such a way if we were to pray faithfully and fervently like Daniel. It's a good example. It's not an easy example to meet, but Daniel's an incredible figure, incredible person in the Word of God. God used him in an incredible way. Um, I, I don't think, I don't think Daniel was not divine. He was a man of like passions such as we are. <laughs> but he kept those passions under control, kept his diet under control, kept, kept his prayer under control, discipline three times a day, every day, never failing. Even when, when a law is passed that would cost him his life, open those windows up, bow down, and pray to God. That's what we need. That's what we're missing, and it's what we need. We need it desperately. All right, let's come back to Daniel 9. We'll go through some more introductory information, uh, but just in case we need it, we'll be there. All right, let's venture into this. I'm going to give you a brief introduction to it as part of the introduction, and then we're going to talk about it some more probably next week, though we will we'll hit on it multiple times. Um, what I'm about to show you is extremely important for you to understand in order for you to have a strong grasp of prophecy and, and a good understanding of what your Bible says uh, about the future, about future events, about Israel, about what's coming. All these things are extremely important and connected to what I'm about to show you. We've talked several times about how Daniel lays out several timelines. All right, so you have Daniel 2, this vision of the Gentile powers, and we know that's going to take us from Babylon to Persia to Grecia to Rome. Then there's going to be a pause in the church age, and then after the church is taken away, these ten kings are going to come. Out of these ten kingdoms will come the Antichrist, and then Jesus Christ will come back and put those kingdoms down and put an end to Gentile powers. Right? Everybody remember all that? So that, that's the broad timeline that's given us in Daniel. All right, that fits chapter 7, that fits chapter 8. But then in da- Daniel 9, it's going to start getting, we're going to go from broad to very specific, like unbelievably specific. God's going to start giving numbers and years and days. And, 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 and we've talked about the time, you know, the time and times and half a time and how that relates to the, the 42 months. And the, and the 1,260 days, but, 
But what is that a reference to? Who remembers? Hmm. Which part of the tribulation? Second half, which is called what? Great tribulation. All right, so we've, we've talked about that, but, but now it, this timeline is about to get very specific. And every false interpretation or explanation of when the church will be taken away, um, how long the, 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 the uh, tribulation will be, the overall tribulation, uh, when some of these events happen and take place, they all violate Daniel 9, and you can't violate Daniel 9. One of the more popular ones in our circle that's growing is that three and a half years of the tribulation took place when Jesus was on the earth. Well, you got to throw out most of Daniel 9 if that's the case. It completely violates the timeline. It can't be. Right? Now, there's some interesting ideas based on what these men teach. And because they're interesting, people are like, oh, well, that's, that's how you catch a fish. You throw something interesting in front of it, and it bites it. Uh, it doesn't mean you should eat it. And, and so we, we, we don't want to do that. We want to be careful. All right, so this is what we're going to talk about. What did Gabriel tell Daniel? 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and Jerusalem. All right, the 70 weeks, let's, let's, uh, no, we'll, let's just talk about this. I'm, this is going to be kind of an introduction to it. We'll get a little bit of the specifics to get it in your mind so that when we see it again, it'll hopefully... Um, Hopefully it'll, it'll stick. Seventy weeks are rendered in days of years. All right, so we're going to be we're talking about days of years. So we're not saying you know well seventy weeks isn't that already long gone? Well, no, not 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 yet. The seventy weeks is going to be rendered a day. For a year. Okay? And, and, and you'll see this more as we go. Just, just stay with me. Just, just, just try to get the idea and then, and then we'll piece it all together. When the Bible speaks in these terms, it, is all, it, it always refers to either judgment, prophecy, or both. These are what is known as prophetic years. All right? So if the Bible gives you a, a time frame such as the 70 weeks... It's going, to be, it's going to be in days of years, but you've got to let the context tell you that. You can't just, you know, if God says, on the sixth day I rested, that doesn't mean six years later he rested. That's not, you, you've got to let the context tell you we're talking in prophetic terms or judgment. All right, so it's always going to be related to prophecy or judgment. Every time, if it's days of years. All right, so 70 weeks, it's going to be broken down into seven, seven days in a week, and there's 70 of them. And, 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 and we'll get this more and more, so don't, don't if, you, if, if it's not clicking yet, don't fret. We'll, we'll, I'll demonstrate it to you. At the beginning of the chapter, Daniel learns that, that Judah will be in captivity for 70 years. All right, so you have to separate this. 70 years in captivity. 
And what happens is people conflate these two. They get them confused. They, 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 they're like, wait a minute. I thought it was 70 years. Where did 70 weeks come from? The 70 years are over. Gabriel's there to tell Daniel, you got 70 more weeks. Not in captivity necessarily, but probably dispersed around the world and under Gentile power. You're going to remain the Gentile, the, 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 time of the, the times of the Gentiles are going to remain in place. Israel will have lost temporarily their rights to the land. Some of them are there now, but that, you know, there are probably more homosexuals in modern Israel than just about anywhere else in the world. That's not God's nation. That, that's England's nation. That's a, that's, a, that's a nation that was formed by the United Nations Gentile powers. In fact, we're going to look at, I mean, every step of the way, who told them they could go back and rebuild the temple? Cyrus, a Gentile king. Who, who further gave them permission to build the temple? Darius, a Gentile king. Who, who gave Nehemiah permission to go and rebuild the city? Artaxerxes, a Gentile king. Every step of the way, from the time that Judah was taken captive, the Gentiles are, are, are reigning, starting from Babylon until Jesus Christ comes back and smashes that image. They are under Gentile control. All right, so your time in captivity is over. And so you can go back to Jerusalem if Cyrus says it's okay and rebuild your temple. And then Cyrus gave the decree and said, Judah, go back and rebuild your temple. So with permission from the Gentiles, they went back to rebuild their temple. They got that done. They got reestablished in the land and didn't last too long. And they, now they're dispersed all over the world. Even when, from the time that Israel was taken into Assyria... They were absorbed into Babylon when Babylon took Assyria and then Persia when Persia took Assyria. And they've just been dispersed all over the world. I told you about that time I went to Temple Israel in Daytona Beach and, and, and me and those guys are going at it. And, and this, this old man comes up and he's like, listen to me, young man, take, take it from me. I'm a Jew from way back. I'm like, oh, where are you from? Ecuador. Like, what? What, is that? what is this supposed to mean? <laughs> Oh, let me bow to your authority from Ecuador. I mean, I don't understand what that. I should. So that way, I'm from Memphis. No, didn't do anything for you. <laughs> that's about that's about how I felt when you told me you're from Ecuador. <laughs> so I don't know what that was supposed to do. But um, all right. So the beginning of the chapter, he learns that Judah will be. Uh, he'll, they'll be in captivity for seventy years. And that the 70 years are coming to a close. In response to this understanding, Daniel begins to pray fervently to God, asking the Lord to turn away his wrath from Israel. Now, as exciting as those, this, this series of events is for Daniel, I prayed God literally sent an angel from heaven to come and talk to me. That's pretty incredible. I'm afraid the... You know when you got to give somebody bad news, but they're really nice about it, and they're very diplomatic about giving you the bad news, and you almost wish they would just tell you, uh, just, just throw it in your face. Just, just give it to me. Stop trying to be nice. Stop beating around the bush. That's basically what God just did. Daniel said, Lord, would you please turn your wrath away from us? Send us back. And then Gabriel comes up and is like, um, you got 490 more years of, of uh, chastisement. Sorry. <laughs> And so Daniel's like, 
okay, praise the Lord. <laughs> and, and so that's, that's basically what just happened. Daniel said, would you turn your wrath away from us? And the Lord's like, uh, look, I, you, you read, he's like, Daniel, you've read 2 Chronicles 36. <laughs> you, your people went so far, I was without remedy. I have to do this. You have to be chastised. And now it's, now it's part of prophecy, so you can't change it now. It has to happen. <laughs> and, and so that until this is complete, this is, this is their lot in life. The 70 week, weeks represent 70 weeks, each of which have seven days. All right, so when it says it's a week... It's speaking of a week as seven days. Each of which have 70 or have seven days multiplied together. So you put these together, you get 490 days. Seven times 70 490. All right, everybody with me so far? All right, good. Uh, these days are in, um, we get 490 days from the 70 weeks. All right, so, so from here on out, when you hear me talk about 70 weeks, it equals 490 days or 490 years. All right, so if I use all these together, or if I use them interchangeably, this is what we're talking about. It's the same thing, just different ways of, of saying it. Um, this period of time is wholly devoted to God's dealings with Israel and Jerusalem. It doesn't implicate anyone else. It's not for us. It's, it's not for Gentiles. It is for the Jews, and it is for Jerusalem. Now, certain aspects of it, which, and again, we'll, we'll talk about this some more, maybe in a little more detail. I mean, we'll see. We, I, I gotta, we've only got a limited amount of time, and I, I really want to put a lot of focus on this. Um, s- certain aspects of it, and we'll talk about everything that's going to be accomplished in this 490 years. Certain aspects of it we benefit from. When it says Messiah was cut off, what does that mean? He was crucified. Now, is that good for us or not? <laughs> right. It's, it's, it, it, it was good for us, but, here's, but think about the way it's presented in Daniel 9. Messiah was cut off. Well, and then what? They just left it there. Right? Now, we would, as a church, we, or as, as Christians, as the church... We would never just say, oh, Messiah was cut off. He died. We'd say he died, he was buried, and he rose from the dead. All right, so that's a clear indication that the context has nothing to do with us. The context is directly related to the Jews and Jerusalem and their Messiah. He's their king. He's their Messiah. All right, he was cut off, just like Daniel said he would be. Right, so, so while we might benefit from some of the events, it, it's, it's framed in a context that is meant to, to deal with the Jews. Right? That it's, it's just wholly given to the Jews. All 400, 490 years, all 70 weeks, Israel, 
That's it. Nobody else. Yeah, but the church is going to go through part of the tribulation. No, they're not. And we're not even talking about the tribulation yet. This is where Daniel 9 gets really confusing to a lot of people because you have 70 weeks, right? One week is the tribulation out of 70. So why do you, first of all, you want to argue about one week out of the 70, which if you're telling me the church is going to go through it, you already don't understand it. But what about the other 69 weeks? Did you want to talk about those? If you said that to somebody, they would say, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I know you don't know what I'm talking about. You're talking out of the side of your head. The church is going to go through the tribulation. No, I mean, I wish, I, I wish God would send an angel down and say, Thomas, the next time you hear some, some Christians say they're going through the tribulation, you get to pack their bags and help them go through it. <laughs> and I just want to watch. <laughs> like, go, go for it. <laughs> so, but that's probably not going to happen. Um, maybe I'll pray about it. Um, this has nothing to do with Gentiles and nothing to do with the church. All right, so the only relationship to Gentiles. All right, so you have the Jews. They are subject to the Gentiles. They're going to be dispersed. They're going to be in captivity. They're they're going to have all these, these problems throughout this 490 years after the 70 years. After they've already gone into captivity and come back. And it's all going to be related to their disobedience. And it's all going to be for the purpose of chastisement. God's going to deal with their sin. Now, how was your sin dealt with? Well, Jesus Christ died for your sins. He was buried. <laughs> Oh, on the board. Okay. Yes. Once we get the 490 days, like from... What's seven times 70? Yeah, well, from the scriptures. Well, we'll get there. Just, just stay with me. We'll get there. In fact, we're about to break it down into it. So this 70 weeks is divided into three parts. All right. So let, let me finish this. So, so the, the Gentiles, the only relationship they have to this 70 weeks is they rule and reign the earth. Period. That's it. The 70 weeks, the 490 days, 490 years have nothing to do with the Gentiles other than they are in charge. Has nothing to do with the church other than that there's going to be a pause in the completion of the 70 weeks before we get to the last week called the church age. Right. Everybody kind of see where that's going. All right. It, it's, it, it'll, it'll, it should start fitting into place as I, except for YAB. We'll have to help YAB in a minute. But. Uh, we'll, we'll get him caught up. We'll get him brought up to speed. Um, all right. Now, the 70 weeks, I guess we'll leave this up there and put it somewhere. All right. The 70 weeks is divided into three parts. Number one, you have seven sevens. You multiply seven, seven sevens together. All right, so that's, that's the, the 70 weeks are divided into three parts. Seven sevens is the first one. It equals 49, 49 days or 49 years. 
All right, so before we, before we continue, just so you can see where this is coming from, let's, let's read verses 24 through 27 again real fast. Or I'll, I'll tell you when to stop. Just, just follow along. Verse 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. All right, everybody see the six things. We'll talk about those in detail in a minute. We'll talk about them generally in a minute and in detail afterwards. Those are the six things that are going to be accomplished in these 70 weeks. Everybody see that so far? All right, now, verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks. All right, that's what this is. Seven weeks of seven days. Everybody with me so far? It's going to get real technical tonight. So if you're not, if you're not following, let me know so we can make sure that you get it. Because if you don't get this, everything else is going to be real confusing. Everybody see this so far? All right, so you have seven weeks, seven weeks, each week made up of seven days, seven times sevens, it's 49 days. And, and in days of years... It's 49 years. Everybody got me so far? All right, good. All right. This period is the period from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. All right, so that commandment is given in Nehemiah 2. We'll look at it in, in, in a few minutes. Uh, the, the Artaxerxes, uh, Nehemiah went before Artaxerxes and said, can I go build the city? All right, Cyrus said, go build what? The temple. Uh, Darius said, yes, you can build the temple. Um, only Artaxerxes in the day, even uh, Ezra, when he goes back, it's, it's for more, uh, it's, 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 it's related directly to restoring worship in the temple. And getting what they need in order for worship to happen in the temple. But then when Nehemiah goes back, he says, I, we need to build the city. That's the, that's the commandment that God said to look forward to. If you look at it again, look at verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks the street shall be built again and the wall in troublous times. All right. So our next one is what we just what we just read. Sixty two weeks of sevens. All right. This is going to be four hundred and thirty four days or what? Or years. Now, after this four hundred and thirty four days of years. Messiah shall be cut off, which is the death of Jesus Christ. Everybody follow me so far? Okay, good. And then that leaves us one week of sevens, which is seven days or seven years. 
And this last week is the, is the one that it's on pause until the church is raptured. Then we'll begin the time of Jacob's trouble, that last seven years. All right now, what Gabriel just told Daniel is all of this is determined upon your people. You've got to go through all of this. We think of Daniel 9 and we just think of this. That last week. That's all we think about. We act like none of this exists. <laughs> and people just fight and argue over the last week. The reality is, he told them, you got 490 years. Now, of the 490 years, all of it has been accomplished except the last week. It's very important. All right. All three events together equal 490 years or 70 weeks. If you add 49 plus 43 plus 7, you're going to come out to 70 weeks or 490 days of years. Do we need a break after that or is everybody with me? (laughs) All right. Does everybody have this? I need to erase it. Everybody good? You good, Quinto, or you need more? Do you need to get a few more things? It's okay. What's going on? We need, we need to try and... We're not going to get it perfect right now because we're going to go over this again in more detail. But I, I want you to have it as straight as you can right now so that when we do over it later in more detail, it's more of a refresher. So what's, what's confusing you or what are you not getting? So that means the... The, the decree was, was not, again, actually made by Cyrus. The, the decree for the end of the 70 years was made by Cyrus. But the decree for the beginning of the 70 weeks was made by Artaxerxes. Mm-hmm. According, to the, according to Daniel 9, the key is to rebuild Jerusalem. Cyrus never gave a command to rebuild Jerusalem. So the importance of Cyrus is he took Babylon and he sent Judah back to Jerusalem, just like God said. But that is only related to the 70 years of captivity. Has nothing to do with the 70 weeks. Yes, sir. I'm trying to fit in the four years of the 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew. So do they fit in here or something else? Or we have to go from Malachi direct to the silent years to, to the Messiah? That's, that's 490 years from the commandment of Artaxerxes until Messiah the Prince is taking the time and, and they say that they were able to they, they say that they were able to check it to the very day. So from the time that that command was given from Artaxerxes until Jesus Christ was put to death on the cross, 400 and um, it, it's, it's 434 day or not, it's 49 plus 434. So these together is what that time would be. Let me, I meant to put that number up here, but let me, 
Let me get that number for you real quick. I don't want to do it in my head and mess it up. If one of you are math geniuses, have at it and let me know. But Forty-nine plus four, three, four. So it's 483 years. So these together is 483 years. All right. If that's the case, there's seven years left. If you add seven to that, what's it make it? 490. All right. So um, multiple men say they, they, they did the math. They got the, the dates together. And, and uh, one of the most famous of them, and I've got his books, I really, he's kind of boring to read, but it's, the, the content is very interesting. His name is Sir Robert Anderson. He's got a book called Messiah the Prince. It's an excellent book. Um, but he, he was a detective for Scotland Yard, and he got saved. And so he took his detective skills and applied them to Bible study. And it was, it's really interesting. And so he, in his book, Messiah the Prince, he, he goes through from the time that commandment was given and the date that they believe it was given on until the death of Jesus Christ. And it's exactly 483 years, according to him, to the day. Now, I have to take his word for it. I don't know, you know, I have no way to prove it or disprove it. He, he had the wherewithal and the, and the, the uh, access to the information to be able to, to lay this out the way he does, and he does it very thoroughly. And he, he says he, he was able to average it out to, to the day, 483 years. That leaves us one week. That one week was put on pause when Christ rose from the dead. Christ rose from the dead. What began? The church age, the New Testament. All, all of this, do you see how that fits? All right, so we're studying Daniel 2, and we're following these Gentile powers, and we go all the way to Rome, under Rome, under their, their kingdom, Messiah dies. Messiah is cut off. He dies on the cross. He's buried. He rises from the dead. They destroy the temple, just like Daniel 9 said they would do. And then the church age begins once Christ rises from the dead. All right. Christ rises from the dead. We're in this long, drawn out period called the church age. So this is this 70 weeks. At least the last week is put on pause until the church is taken away. Everybody got so. So if you're trying to do the math from. Artaxerxes till now, it doesn't work <laughs> because it goes until Messiah is cut off. So if you re- look at verse 25 again, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment, that's Artaxerxes, all right? He gave that commandment, all right? From the going forth of the commandment uh, to, to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks uh, the street shall be built again and, and the wall even in troublous times. If you read the book of Nehemiah, it was absolutely rebuilt in troublous times. Now, verse 26, and after three score and two weeks. Okay, so that, that puts these two together. 434 days or in the 49 days, 434 years in the, in the 49 years to give us 
483 years. That puts those together. After that, so you see the way it's worded, verse 26, then after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolation Desolations are determined. And then verse 27, just for good measure. And and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Yes, sir. I have a question. Mm-hmm. So if you want to separate the 70 weeks in, in, in categories of, of seven, then six and one week. So could it be that from, in the first week from the commandment, we build Jerusalem. To the appearance of the Messiah, that marks the end of the first week. Yeah, so this first week is seven sevens. All right, so that's, that's 49 years from the, the time the commandment is given until Messiah the Prince. So, so then 62 weeks till he's cut off. All right, all right good. Okay. All right, everybody... Quinto, you're looking at me like, I'm not asking another question. I don't, know what to, I don't even know what to ask. <laughs> you okay? You understand it? I was only really confused with the other one. Okay. Anybody else? Monica's sleeping. Anybody else? I'm Ooh, what are you calculating? We'd like to know. <laughs> All right. I'm okay to erase this? Yeah, all right. Okay. In other words, if we are to put the 70 weeks, it, that means it starts counting when Judah is already back in the land. The 70 weeks is counting from the commandment given by Artaxerxes. Judah went back years before when Cyrus sent them back. The temple is already built. By the time we get to Nehemiah, the temple is built. So by the time Nehemiah is asking for permission, they were already back in the land. All right, let me, let, me, let, me, let me put this timeline on the board. All right, so this is, you got to separate these two, okay? So right now we're talking about the 70 years and the captivity, right? So they go into Babylon. They're there 70 years. At the end of that 70 years, Cyrus sent them back. It takes them about, and and I'm doing this from memory, it takes them about 15 years to finish the temple. Now, it didn't take them 15 years. They laid the foundation. They restored the altar. They got things going, and then they just quit. Trouble came, and they started having a hard time, so they just quit. By the time God raised up, Haggai and Zechariah, Haggai and Zechariah went and prophesied to the people in Jerusalem. So right here, when it it comes to this and it comes to what's happening here, this is in Jerusalem. This is Judah in Jerusalem. They've laid the foundation of the temple. Um, uh, They they restored the altar. They have worship going. They're singing. The, The aged men see the small temple and they weep, but the young men are all excited about what they get to be a part of and they... They, they're, they're cheering. And so all of that's going on in Jerusalem. They, they start receiving trouble from their adversaries, so they stop building. By the time they 
that Haggai and Zechariah come along and prophesy to them. In, in, uh, that's in Ezra 4, Ezra 5, Ezra 6. Darius writes his letter and says, you're going to let these people finish building that temple or I'm going to make your house a dunghill. Right? And so by Ezra 7, they're, they're full on with the work. It's moving fast on. By the time Nehemiah comes, they've already rebuilt the temple. Nehemiah is coming to rebuild the city, beginning with the walls and the gates. All right, so it takes him about 15 years to finish the temple. Then Nehemiah comes. Now, actually, you know, Nehemiah, but just before Nehemiah is Ezra. All right, Nehemiah comes some years after um, Ezra, and he builds the city, beginning with the walls. All right, so they're in Babylon 70 years. The 70 years of captivity is coming to an end. Cyrus says, go back. They go back. They rebuild the temple. Ezra comes. He brings more people. Nehemiah comes. He brings more people. And when Nehemiah gets there, the temple's already built. Ezra's already, you know, preaching and, 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 and reading the Bible to him. He's got the priests up there. He's getting things in order. You know, he's... he's reestablishing worship the way it should be, Nehemiah comes, he says, we got to get these walls built or we don't have a city. So they rebuild the walls, they hang the gates, and then they begin to rebuild the city based on the commandment of Artaxerxes, who was king when Nehemiah was there. All right, so from this time, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. They went back and they weren't released in phases. They went back in phases. Cyrus said, those of you who are from that city, go. Well, only a small remnant went back. And then when Ezra came later, more came back. So Zerubbabel came back when Cyrus gave the decree. Zerubbabel and Jeshua came back. They brought a a significant group with them. Uh, not, Not everybody by any means. Then Ezra came. He brought another group with him. Then years later, Nehemiah came. He brought another group with him. And then they began to, at that point, build the city. All right? So that's why, you know, um, Ezra, Nehemiah, Jeremiah, Isaiah, uh, Zephaniah, Daniel, Haggai, Zechariah, uh, and I'm sure there's some others in there that, that it's all about this captivity. It's all about Judah. Sorry? It's not, not directly, no. It, it's, it's, it is related to, loosely, but not directly. Uh, but it, but it is, it, it does, it, they are under Persian rule, and, and she marries a Persian king, so it, it is part of that. So, okay. Any more questions? Now's a good time to ask. Benjamin, you got it? <laughs> Anybody? Going once? Going seven times? Times seven? What? All right. We're, we're going to talk about that more in depth because uh, you, you've got to get that. Um, so I wanted to introduce you to it, hopefully not confuse you initially, but, but help you to see it and gain some understanding from it, some help from it, and then... We're going to look at it more in depth later. I don't know how in depth. I feel like I could spend a whole semester on Daniel 9. Uh, but 
Brother Keith was already gracious enough to split this into two semesters, so I'll not test his limits. Could you give me a whole semester on Daniel 9? <laughs> no. <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, no, it's, it might be profitable. It's, it's interesting. Where do, if someone asks me a question, where do I go to point to them that these books, the days people do books, and then books go to the yard? Is there a vast? Yes, there's several. We will look at them. We'll get there. All right. In the 70 weeks, what is accomplished? Let's look at verse 24. 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. All right, now, the two things. Thy people, who's that? Who's Daniel's people? Israel. All right? Thy holy city. Where's that? Jerusalem. So who is this about? Israel and Jerusalem. Where does the church fit in there? All right, so it has a context. The context is Daniel, your people, your city. Oh, so this is Israel, the church, and, you know, the Vatican in Rome, that's, that's Jerusalem. No, you can't force the church into this. It's Israel, Jerusalem. So when somebody comes and they say, well, I think the church is going through the tribulation. I think you're retarded. Something is wrong with you. You need to stop reading books or whatever it is you're looking at that's causing you to think these things. Get some skill and some understanding. It's not helping you. All right, now, back to verse 24. 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Now, if we were going to guess, why is God doing this? Would you want to guess or would you want to go to the verse that literally says, to do this and this and this and this and this and this. So why just make something up when we can literally go to the verse that says A, B, C, D, here's what I'm doing. All right, so back to verse 24. To finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Is that pretty clear? All right, so number one, finish the transgression. All right, now, again, we've established the context, but but I have to hammer this over and over because too many people are too good at tricking Christians into thinking they're going to the tribulation. When were your transgressions taken care of? Okay, does God need to finish your transgression? No? Are you sure? I'm not getting like a confident answer here from anybody. <laughs> like, no, I don't think so. Positive. When were they, ta- how were they taken care of? Jesus Christ. He died on the cross, was buried, and rose again to pay for your transgressions. 
Did you trust in Jesus Christ? Okay, then it's a done deal. Why would you need to go through 490 years or 70 weeks of chastisement to take care of your transgression? You wouldn't. Well, what's, what's the next thing? To make an end of sins. Now tell me, tell me, which one of your sins did the blood of Jesus Christ not pay for? So if the blood of Jesus Christ has washed away your sins, why would you need to go through 70 weeks of of making an end of your sins? Israel does. The nation, not us, not the church. This is this has nothing to do with us. Not the not the the, the first 69 weeks and not the 7th week. It's all directly related to Israel. The reason they're dispersed around the world, the reason Hitler tortured them, the reason all all this stuff happens to them, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. You're you're staying under Gentile rule in in permanent chastisement until Jesus Christ comes back and, and takes down the Gentile powers. Make reconciliation. When, were, when and how were you reconciled? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of His cross, that's Ephesians chapter 2, reconciled us to God. So, so you're going to have to help me understand why I need to go through 70 weeks or one week of being reconciled for my iniquity when Jesus Christ already shed His blood and did that for me. It's because it has nothing to do with us. Um, bring in everlasting righteousness. When you trust in Jesus Christ, did he not give you the righteousness of God? That, that's how we become righteous. We have no righteousness of our own. We trust in Jesus Christ, and God, God says, in exchange for your faith in my Son, I impute, that's Romans 4, to you my righteousness. You give me your faith, I give you my righteousness. Well, that's done. What do we, so why do we need to go through 70 weeks of chastisement to bring in righteousness? Jesus Christ did that for us. Seal up the vision and the prophecy. Well, what's this prophecy and vision about? Daniel's people in Daniel's city. Not ours. Raise your hand if you've been to Jerusalem. Nobody? How come you haven't been to your city? (laughs) Because it's not my city. I'm not a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm not a Jew. And then finally... Anoint the most holy. Now we're, we're going to, I believe I'm going to be able to demonstrate to you and, and you take it how you want. But this, this is not the most holy as in Jesus Christ. This is the temple. And I'll, I'll show you why I say that when, when I 
when we get to it. Has Jesus Christ already been anointed? Yes. He doesn't need us to anoint him again. He doesn't need Israel to anoint him again. But their temple needs to be put back, restored. Their temple needs to be put back in place. So I believe this is going to be a reference to Ezekiel again. Ezekiel's temple. All right, so, uh, and I'll show you what I mean by that when we get there. But these are the six things this 70 weeks intends to accomplish and what God hopes to do with them. And we're going to look at each one in a little more detail. Right now, I'm just just giving you a brief introduction to it and, and bringing it to your attention. None of that has anything to do with us. Now, anybody... So you take Israel, you take the Gentiles. They can all escape this through Jesus Christ. Now, not nationally. The nation of Israel is going through this. But you you can be ripped out of that nation and be put into the body of Christ if you would trust in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. So that's available for anybody. You don't have to go through this. You could receive Jesus Christ and become one of his sons. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, be born again, be put into the body of Christ. And then once you're in the body of Christ, your, your flesh means nothing. It has no bearing. You're not, God's not going to say, oh, you get out of the body of Christ, you've got to go through the tribulation. <laughs> no, you, you escaped through Jesus Christ. But if you remain in Israel and you don't trust in Jesus Christ and the tribulation comes around, <laughs> run. <laughs> if you're in Judea, flee. <laughs> you're going through it. Don't die. <laughs> Make it to the end. So... This is the purpose of these 70 weeks. And the wonderful thing for us is all of this is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. All you have to do is trust in Jesus Christ and you can escape all of this. Now, if you're a Gentile and you go through the tribulation, this is not being accomplished in you. You're just going through tribulation. (laughs) It just sucks for you. (laughs) Uh, Should have made a better choice. (laughs) If you had the chance to trust in Jesus Christ and you chose not to, maybe we'll see you when we come back. (laughs) I don't don't plan on it, but I'll, you know, I'll have something from the marriage supper of the lamb for you to eat when we get there. (laughs) Uh, But trusting in Jesus Christ, you escape all of this. That this special uh, position in the church age where we get put in Jesus Christ, it's unbelievable all that's given to us simply because we were alive during the church age and we chose to trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You, you gain so much and you escape so much. If we were to make a list, this board isn't big enough. I don't think that wall is big enough. It's incredible. You should be very thankful. That should be motivation to pray like Daniel. Thank you, Lord, for turning away your wrath. 
This Daniel, this excellent man with an excellent spirit who does nothing wrong, does everything right. Nobody can find fault against him. In heaven, they're talking about how much they love Daniel. And he says, Lord, would you turn away your wrath? And God says, sorry, Daniel. (laughs) You and your people got 490 years to, to deal with what you've done. And it's sealed. It's prophecy. Not going to be altered. Right? And then God looks at us and says, why do I have you? <laughs> and we say, well, I'm washed in the blood of Jesus. Oh, well, come in, my son. <laughs> have some of his inheritance. Uh, what, you want to rule and reign with him? <laughs> sure. <laughs> and why am I getting all this? Well, you trusted my son. There's no other reason. All right, so the one who had merit is denied his petition and told, sorry, you got 490 more years of, of chastisement before I bring this to, our, to a wrap. And then us, who never did anything right, we stumble around in darkness and, and don't deserve anything but hell. God says, you're seated in heavenly places already because you've trusted in my son. It's pretty incredible. Seventy weeks are determined upon Daniel's people. While certain of the events over the course of 490 years might have some broader impact, such as Messiah being cut off, we talked about that briefly already, the purpose of the 490 years is to finish God's dealings with Israel. Do not make the mistake um, that, that having some potential benefit uh, makes it about us. It has nothing to do with us. It's all about Israel. Everything the 70 weeks accomplishes could be easily taken care of for anyone who will trust in Christ now. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ are available for all men everywhere. All right, now, when do the 70 weeks begin? Everybody got this who needs it or wants it? Okay, good. Now, we've talked about it already, and we've referred to it already, but let's go look at it. Nehemiah 2 begins with the decree of Artaxerxes. We'll read verses 1 through 8. Nehemiah 2, verses 1 through 8. Verse 1. And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes. Now, if you were, I don't know, a detective for Scotland Yard, (laughs) and you want to try and determine where where this uh, 483 years begins and ends, well, it just gave you a very important detail. In the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, or tax Xerxes, always get this little A wrong, or tax Xerxes. Um, all right, back to verse 1. And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Now, the, again, the These people, man, I don't know where God found them. Daniel, Ezra, and Nehemiah, three of the most incredible 
people in the Bible. Unbelievably faithful. Think about what he's saying here. I had never been sad in his presence, ever. I don't care what's going on. Uh, My mother died. I'm not going to be sad in the presence of the king. I'm going to do my job. I'm going to do it right. Because my emotions should not be bleeding out into my work. I shouldn't have everybody feeling sorry for me at work because something bad happened. My cat died or, or, you know, whatever. You keep your emotions under control. Something we're trying to teach Bethany right now. Every time, she, every time something happens she doesn't like, she screams and starts yelling. Like, you've lost your mind. You better get yourself under control. And, and if you don't teach a two-year-old how to get their emotions under control, what's it going to look like when she's 10 or 16 or 20? And, and you're not going to have that. You can't be that way. You've got to get yourself under control. And so Nehemiah is in a, I mean, he is depressed. He is anxious. He is emotionally distraught at the condition of Jerusalem. And he literally says, I have never been before the king before. And he saw me sad ever. And it's notable because I think he's almost being hard on himself for allowing it to happen. But it, but it leads to... You'll see he regains his composure as the series of events that are about to take place go on. So back to verse 1. And it came to pass in the month Nisan in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king that wine was before him. And I took up the cup and gave it unto the king. Now I had, I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad? Seeing thou art not sick, this is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. Now, in, in this time, when you're before a king like Artaxerxes and you present yourself sad or upset, he takes that as an impression on his leadership. <laughs> so Nehemiah is like, this is not good. <laughs> I am sore afraid that I just showed emotion to the king and he might take it the wrong way. Now, fortunately, he had enough respect for Nehemiah that he said, what's going on? He didn't say, execute him. I'm not going to have somebody, some whiny little pouting brat in my, my presence. Get rid of him. Find another cupbearer. Uh, and so he, he's terrified because he knows this could, go, this could go wrong very quickly. Verse 3, and said unto the king, let the king live forever. I bet. <laughs> uh, why should not my countenance be sad? Now, that's a Pretty bold statement. Why shouldn't it be sad? Why are you sad? Why shouldn't I be? Excuse me? <laughs> you know who you're talking to? I do. I mean, that's, that's, these are the type of men we're dealing with. This is a Daniel type situation. I do know who I'm dealing with. And I'm trying to be very open and very honest with you right now. You may or may not have that liberty. He may or may not allow you to have that liberty. You know, sometimes you want to be open and honest with somebody. Who says you get that chance? All right now, with me and my wife, we absolutely, we open and honest with each other all the time, behind the scenes. We tell each other everything that's going on. But I don't go to work and say, can I just be open with you? No, I don't know you people. It would, my boss is, if my boss is like, can you go do your work? Well, I just want to talk to you about something. No, go do your job. What do you want to talk about? Well, my emotions. Why don't you go home? That's what, let, let's, 
No, yeah, just go home. Come back, you know, in 20 years. <laughs> All right, so you've got to keep your emotions under control, but this is a calculated chance. This is a calculated move. He's taking a big chance right now. Fortunately, and, and this is how you have to be. I have never been sad before the king before. I always do my job. I do it right. I, I, I pay attention to detail. I do it the way he wants. So now that I need something, I can go to him and I can, I can open up to him about it. But if every week is like, well, why are you sad? Well, why shouldn't I be sad? I don't know. You're sad every week. What is going on with you? Either grow up and get over it or get out. But if the king knows this is a diligent, faithful, hardworking man and something is bothering him, then the king says, no, this, this is out of character for you. What's going on? And Nehemiah says, I'm, I'm going to take a chance. And he does, though he's very sore afraid. Um, why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lieth waste and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, for what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Who does that sound like? I mean, you're, you're in the middle of the situation. And the king's like, what do you want? Tell me what's going on. Lord, <laughs> now, I mean, I don't know that he stopped. I was like, oh, one second, King, let me, <laughs> you know, he's probably, I would guess in the moment in his mind saying, Lord, please give me favor with this man. Help us to go the right way. I could die here. Um, and, and so he, he's immediately praised to God. He doesn't just say, well, you should send me back to build, rebuild my, my city. He says, Lord, I need your help here. If you don't give me favor with this man right now, he might send me out here to be executed. Um, or he might just say, no, shut up, smile, act like you're happy if you're not, just pretend. Uh, but instead, God gave him favor, same way he did with Daniel, and praise the Lord for those things. I, I have made this a personal habit. Every time one of you comes to me and says, can I ask you a, a Bible question? In my head, immediately, I say, Lord, please let me help this person. Doesn't mean that I have the answer. I know exactly what to say or what to do. Uh, when, when somebody says, you know, can I talk to you about something? Immediately in my head, I say, Lord, please, please help me to be able to help with this. Whatever this is, whatever, whatever they're about to bring up, whatever they're about to say, I, I need your help. I'm not going to say well, one minute. Let me go to my prayer room and go. You know, I, I don't think you need all that. I mean, that's fine if you want to. But it just it might. If you're before the king, probably not. I mean, could you could you. Imagine before the king of Buganda and he says, what is your request? Oh, just one minute. <laughs> and, and you drop down and you start praying. Yeah, I, I don't know that that would go well. But if you said, Lord, he just asked me what I want. I'm, I'm going to tell him, would you please give me favor? Would you please help me? And, and then moved on. I think that'd be a good thing. So um, then the king said unto me, for what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven and said unto the king, if it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, uh, the queen also sitting by him. It's an interesting detail. Not sure why he felt the need to throw that in there, but now we know that the king and the queen are together. Queen are together. Uh, For how long shall thy journey be, and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, 
and I set him a, a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, if it please the king, let letters be given to the governors beyond the river that they may convey me over uh, till I come into Judah. Now, look, look at this next verse. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the, pal- uh, uh, of the palace, which um, appertain to the house and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Now look back at verse 5. And I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if, if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may what? Build it. Verse 8. And, the letter, and, and, a, and a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, uh, all the way down at the end. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God. All right, so Nehemiah 2, verses 1 through 8. Nehemiah asked to build the city. All right, now his, the focus of Nehemiah becomes about the walls. But that's just the first step to rebuilding the city. If you don't rebuild the walls and put the gates up, then... It's like, oh, look at this new building we built. And then your enemy comes in overnight and burns it to the ground. There's nothing you can do about it. You rebuild the walls. Now you can rebuild the city. And the king granted his request. Yes, go build it. Do, do, it, do it the way you said. And then, and then get back here and test my wine for poison <laughs> so that I don't die. <laughs> That's his job. He's the cupbearer for the king. And so... The king's going to drink something. The king says, here, Nehemiah, make sure this is okay. And so he has to drink it. He's like, he didn't die. So. <laughs> Thanks, king. Um, so this decree by the king starts. It, it's the beginning. It starts. As soon as he granted it, 490 years, begin clicking. 70 years is done and gone. They're back in Jerusalem. They rebuilt the temple. They built their own houses. You read the book of Haggai, God ripped their faces off because they built their own houses, but you just left the house of God waste. And Haggai and Zechariah began prophesying. Zerubbabel and Jeshua said, yeah, we've got to fix this. And so they, they began rebuilding. Those same adversaries came and bothered them. But this time, if you read, a book, if you read in Ezra, it says they refused to quit. Why didn't they do that the first time? The first thing they said, you know, they're being mean to us. We should stop. Let's go build our own house. (laughs) And they're like, well, how come you can build your own house, but you can't build the house of God? Well, we have adversaries. That didn't stop you the second time. In fact, because they didn't stop, it says that God put his hand upon them, and there was nothing that those people could do to stop them. And and they just kept going. And so, um, praise the Lord, they got it done. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.